You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. courageous faith. We need to go back. Everybody, you know, the big talk in church for the longest time, ever since I've been saved, and I hear many churches, we would say, you know, we're a first century church. Yeah, we believe in the book of Acts. Well, great, because you're going to get a chance to prove it. You're going to get a chance to prove it real soon, because time is going to come where we're going to need that courageous faith, that courageous faith to stand up for right. We're going to have to be able to say, right is right, wrong ain't. Simply put, We need to stand up for what is right. Have the courage to stand up for righteousness. In today's message from Pastor Dave, he teaches you that as a disciple of Jesus, you need to have courageous faith. There will come a time where you will need to stand up and be a voice for what is right. Ask the Lord to empower you with boldness and courage. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Joshua chapter 2 as he continues his message, The Faith of a Harlot. knew that the Lord Jehovah was the one true living God. She knew that. And she feared for herself. She feared for her family. And when she heard these great wonders that he had performed, she received the spies. And then the Lord sets up a way where she pleads for her salvation. And yes, she told a lie. Yes, she did. But she hid them faithfully. And then she comes to them. I know what your God has done for you. I know what your God has done for you. This this is very similar to me, anyhow, when in Daniel, when Nebuchadnezzar sees that Daniel isn't killed by the lions. I know what your God did, Daniel. I see it. I see what your God did. Let everybody worship your God. See, when the evidence is there, when the evidence is in our lives, when the evidence is proof that God is alive, people can't resist that. I want that. I want that in you. Why do you have this faith in this God? And we get to show them and demonstrate to them this faith. That's what's happening here. The interesting about it is, and I love it, turn to Exodus 15. Let's read 14 through 16. Verses 14 through 16 in Exodus 15. The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. To the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them by the greatness of your arm. They will be as still as a stone till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. This was God's plan. God's plan all along was that they would be afraid of them, that they would hear from them, and they would know. Turn forward to Deuteronomy 2, specifically verse 25. After defeating, a rehashing of the defeating of the kings, it says, 25, This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the nations under the whole heaven. Who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you? God's very words. God is saying, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this for you. They're going to hear of you coming. 
They're going to know how great I am because of you. From this, I, I get a loving, gracious God. A loving, gracious God knowing that they will have a fear of him. And how many will believe in him because of this? How many now will turn to God because of these things? We don't know. Well, we know of one and her family, a harlot named Rahab. Rahab knew the Lord was with his people of Israel and she trembled. She believed in one God in a city that had a multiple of gods. She knew God as a personal God when she said, I know your God. I know your God. And although Rahab's knowledge, her knowledge of God was meager at best, she acted upon what she knew. She acted upon what she knew. She knew that the Lord would save her, the Lord could save her, and he did. And I'm reminded of a beautiful story in the Gospels, a beautiful story of some woman who knew, had a meager, meager knowledge of God. She had a meager, meager knowledge of who this Jesus Christ was. She had an issue of blood, but she knew in her heart, if I could just touch the hem of his robe, I don't want to talk to him. I don't want to see him face to face. I don't want him to touch me. I just want to touch the hem of his robe. She knew she would be healed. That's the same kind of faith that Rahab is demonstrating here. God takes what you know. God takes the faith that you have. He says, I accept that faith. Let's build on it now. Accept that. That meager faith that you might have. Faith of a mustard seed. I take it. God wants it. This lady walked through the crowds. I know he's there. I've had this issue of blood for 12 years. I've had it for a long time. All I have to do is touch the hem of his robe. That was her point of faith. The hem of his robe was her point of faith as she reached out and she grabbed it. Jesus said, who touched me? And the disciple says, what are you, crazy? You're in a crowd of 9 million people. Who didn't touch you? He said, no, 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 something went out of me. The spirit went out of me. He knew. And he turned. He turned to her. And said, and he calls her daughter. He calls her daughter. That's some great stuff. But see, this is Rahab. Rahab had a meager, meager, weak faith. She didn't know a lot about this God. But what she knew, she was willing to tell. What she knew she was willing to to grasp on and say, this is all I know about this God. And God said, that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. If all we knew was that Jesus loved us enough to go to a cross and die on that for our sins, and we accepted that, God would say, that's enough. That's enough. That's what I see Rahab doing here. First of all, we saw her with a faith that was courageous, a faith that was confident. And in verses 12 through 14, we see faith that is concerned. Let's look at 12 and 14. Now, therefore, Rahab is still speaking. I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. So the man answered her, our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. She's worried about the salvation of her family. I love this. Look at the face she has. She says, wait a minute. Not me. Not just me. My family. My family. 
I want them to be saved. I want them to have life. I want them to know this God. She wanted others to be safe in the knowledge of God that she had. She wanted others to experience what she has. And you can look in the Gospels and you see Andrew. Every time you see Andrew, he's bringing someone to Christ. The first person he brought to Christ in John 1 was his brother Peter. Peter, we found him. Could this be the Messiah? And he takes him in there. The next thing you think, he's bringing a kid. What do you have? Well, I have this kid here with five loaves and seven fishes. Andrew's always bringing someone to Christ, telling people about Christ. The leper in Mark 1. All the lepers ran away except one, and he couldn't keep his mouth shut. Jesus says, don't tell anybody about that. Okay, Lord, he healed me, he healed me. He couldn't keep his mouth shut. You know, Proverbs 11, verse 30 says this, The fruit of righteousness is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. I love that. I love that. How do we win souls? By telling others about Christ, by being concerned for others' salvation. We've talked about this many times in this forum, being other-centered. We want everyone here has family members, children, adult children, grandchildren, whatever, brothers, sisters. We all want our family to come into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We all want to share with them so we have a concerned faith for them. And I know most of you have shared your faith. Most of you have shared your faith with somebody in your family. And you've probably been shot down. You've probably been turned off. You've probably even made enemies because you've shared your faith. But you're showing that concern. You're showing that concern. I want you to have this. Don't you understand? Don't you understand? This is what I see that. Rahab needed an oath from these men to assure her. One commentator said she wanted to leave her sinful life and culture and become one of God's people, but she needed assurance. She was afraid. She needed assurance. You know, we may be appalled at the fact that Rahab was a prostitute. We may be appalled at the fact that she was a liar, but the fact is she was not saved by her works. She was saved by her faith. She was saved by the faith she had in God and God alone. She didn't even put faith in the men. She had her faith, and it was in God. She knew who God was. She knew who she was, and she trusted God for her very life. She knew she wasn't worthy. She knew what she did for a living. She knew it, but she also knew God was God. So she had a courageous faith. She had a confident faith. She had a concerned faith, and finally, She had a covenant faith, a covenant faith. Let's read the remainder of the chapter from 15 through 24. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall, and she said to them, Get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. After it you may go your way. So the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you have let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and your father's household to your own home. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our heads if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we'll be free from our oath, which you have made us swear. Then she said, according to your words, let it be. 
And she sent them away, and they departed and bound the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way, but did not find them. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain, crossed over, and they came to Joshua the son of Nun and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed, all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. She had a covenant faith. Simply put, a covenant is an agreement. A covenant is a contract. A contract between two parties. Conditions laid forth that both parties will obey. Many covenants spoken about in the scriptures. Many covenants, the covenant with Abraham, covenant with Israel, the covenant with David, and of course there's the new covenant with Jesus Christ. The men made a covenant with Rahab. And in these other biblical covenants, God appointed some physical or material token to remind the people of what they promised. There was some sort of thing that remind the people of what they promised. An example would be the Abrahamic covenant There was circumcision as a reminder. With Noah, the covenant was a rainbow as a reminder. With Israel, it was the promised land. With us, it's the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that's the new covenant. In the case of Rahab, the spies instructed her to hang a scarlet cord out the window of her house. This would identify her house as being safety. The scarlet cord was a signal that her house was to be spared. And despite Rahab's desires, despite her faith, despite the promises of the spies, she would have perished if she didn't trust in the blood-red scarlet. She would have died if she didn't trust in the blood-red scarlet, the cord which was to hang out her window. Without the scarlet cord, she would not have been saved. The color is obviously significant of two things. Reminds me of the blood on the doorpost when they left Egypt, the Passover. Everybody who was in the house was safe as the angel of death passed by, passed over them. And it obviously reminds us of the blood of Jesus Christ. Obviously reminds us that we are saved only by that blood. We are cleansed from our sins. As early as the first century, commentators said that the scarlet cord was a symbol of Jesus. But it's important to note here that Rahab and her family were saved by faith in the God of Israel, not by faith in the scarlet cord. They were saved by faith in God. Hanging the cord was evidence of her faith. God told them to hang the cord, and that was evidence of our faith. It's just like posting the doors, like I said, the faith that they had to put blood around the doorpost. They did that by faith. I love in John 3.14, I love the story. We've talked about it many times. It's a great story. The story of the nation Israel when they're struck by the snake, the plagues of snakes. And they were dying by the thousands. Moses interceded for them and said, Lord, they're dying. What can I do? He said, make a a bronze serpent. Nehushtan, thing of bronze. Make a bronze serpent and put it on a pole and set it before them. If anybody bit by a snake and they look at the bronze serpent, they'll be healed. The bronze serpent became a point of faith because they knew God would heal them. It was God that was doing the healing, not the bronze serpent. It was God that was doing the healing. They were bit by a snake. And if someone was bit by the snake and said, I'm not looking at no bronze serpent, they were dead. Someone who was bit by the snake and they looked at the bronze serpent, they were healed. Why is that in John 3.14? 
Because Jesus says the same thing. Just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, the Son of Man be lifted up. And as we see him high and lifted up on that cross and we believe that he is dying for our sins, we too will be saved. Remember, as we studied Romans 2, the Jews believe in the ritual of circumcision for salvation. They believed that was salvation. They didn't believe and they missed completely the spiritual application of circumcision. Many today depend upon their baptism. They depend upon the rituals. Even many today come and they partake of the Lord's Supper not knowing what they're doing, but because it's a ritual, they partake it thinking somehow that is going to save them, thinking somehow that is going to help. But their faith is in vain. Rahab had faith in the Lord and in him alone to save her. She had faith in his promises. If he promises something, he'll do it. Look what he did for the children of Israel. That was her proof. And she had more proof than she needed. She knew that he was capable and had the ability to keep his promises. Are you sure of the Lord today that he keeps his promises? That his yes is yes and his no is no. Are you sure of that today in your Christian walk? Because that alone will make you victorious. Knowing that the Lord is not slack in his promises. What can we say about the victorious Christian? The victorious Christian is not ashamed of their faith. He's courageous and he's bold in his faith. He knows what God has done for him. He knows who he is or who he was. But he knows that. No one has to remind me of my sin. Trust me. I remind myself every single day of my life. No one has to remind me from whence I've come. So I know me. But I also know God. I know his saving hand is not slack. I know that through Jesus Christ's blood, through Jesus Christ's death, I'm saved. And I know that to be true. So I can be bold and I can be courageous in that and tell others. I can share my faith by what he has done in my life and show people the evidence which is my changed life. The victorious Christian's faith is evident to others regardless of the danger involved. The Supreme Court has met. They've heard the cases. I think they're still going to hear more. They've heard the cases on same-sex marriage. They've heard the cases. Right now, the Supreme Court is like this. It seems like they're 50-50. Seems like they're 50-50. We don't know which way they're going to go. Everybody thinks we know which way they're going to go, and probably they're going to go the way we don't want them to go. But I love Franklin Graham. Franklin Graham's telling people that, hey, if it goes the way we think it's going to go, if they approve same-sex marriage, then we, the church, we, the pastors of the church, we will be in civil disobedience because we will not do it. We will not do what we're told to do. That's going to take courage. Do we have faith like that? Do we have faith like that? I pray that we do. I pray that the Holy Spirit would give us faith like that. It would help us to have faith like that, to draw on that. We have an amendment to our Constitution here and to our bylaws here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May, as to who we will marry, who can perform a marriage, and it has to fit and match our tenets of faith that we have at Calvary Chapel. We have that. We've had it for over a year. It's been part of our bylaws. Will that stand up? I don't know. In a federal law, I don't know. But I can guarantee, I can guarantee that if this law goes into effect the way we think it's going to be in effect by the Supreme Court, we will be tested. We will be tested. We need to have a courageous faith. We need to go back. Everybody, you know, the big talk in church for the longest time, ever since I've been saved, and I hear many churches would say, you know, we're a first century church. Yeah, we believe in the book of Acts. Well, great, because you're going to get a chance to prove it. 
You're going to get a chance to prove it real soon. Because time is going to come where we're going to need that courageous faith. That courageous faith to stand up for right. We're going to have to be able to say, right is right and wrong ain't. Simply put. And we need to stand up for what is right. That takes courage. That takes faith. You don't do that without the Holy Spirit. You don't do that on your own. But that's going to happen. Because we're victorious in Christ. We're victorious in the one who has been victorious above all. If God be for us, who can be against us? The victorious Christian has a courageous faith. The victorious Christian has a concerned faith. I'm concerned for my family. I'm concerned for people. I'm concerned for you. I'm concerned for those people across the street. I'm concerned for those people who I know are not saved. I'm concerned. I want them to come into God's kingdom. I want to experience the life that I have. I want them to know Christ and be forgiven of their sin. I'm concerned for the world. The victorious Christian has a confident faith. I'm confident in what God can do because I know what God did. I'm confident because he's given me evidence time and time and time again. I am confident in him. I'm not confident in me, but I'm confident in him. What did Paul say? Being confident of this very one thing, he who began the work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul's confidence wasn't in himself. Paul's confidence was in the one who could do it. That's where my confidence is. And I'm confident in my covenant faith with Jesus Christ because of his blood. I am confident that his blood was enough to cleanse me from my sin. I'm confident in that. This is what the victorious Christian does. He places his faith in the Lord, and he places his faith in the Lord's ability to accomplish anything that concerns him, anything that's going on, most of all, salvation. Most of all, salvation. All that was taken care of on the cross And we place our faith in him who died for us. So what happened to Rahab? What happened to this harlot? What happened to this prostitute who God took three days to bring into his kingdom, to give her a spot in heaven? Well, she married a prince of Judah. She married a prince of Judah. And you can find her in the lineage of King David and the lineage of Jesus Christ himself. Wow. There are three. It's interesting that when you read the genealogy in the New Testament, there are very few women on that list, but there's three offhand. One of them is Rahab. The other one is Ruth. The third is Bathsheba, David's wife. But the beauty to it is Jesus came to identify with sinful man. Jesus came to identify from sinful man because he came from a lineage of sinful people. But he was sinless. He was sinless. And he came with a sole purpose to die. So rather than becoming some pure and royal blue blood lineage that's very common, we have sinful people on the list of Jesus Christ. But Rahab was commended for her faith. The New Testament writers commend her for her faith. There's a lot that we can learn about it. and There's a lot that she can be an example to us to be victorious Christians. This is the kind of faith I want. It's really cool that you can take somebody who we might esteem as low and learn something from her. You are Our time with you is running short for today's edition of Assure Hope. Pastor Dave will continue this journey through the book of Joshua when you join us next time. But for now... 
You can listen to this teaching and others from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. We'd also encourage you to download these messages so they're available wherever you are. We know how busy life can get, but there's always time to pause, even if only for a few minutes. Those short breaks could be filled with the study of Scripture, getting to know God better through His Word. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, gaining access to the latest messages as soon as they're posted. Find out more at assurehoperadio.com. If you're looking for a church family and happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to have you join us for a time of worship and Bible study. Calvary Chapel Cape May meets weekly on Sunday at 10 a.m., and we offer nursery and Sunday school where your children will be well cared for as they learn about the love of Jesus. Give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Or just visit assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for listening to today's message on Assure Hope. We pray you continue to be blessed as you study the Word and that you discover Jesus working in your life. Pastor Dave will be back soon for another edition of Assure Hope. Assure Hope.